Today on Living in the Word with Dr. Gary Yates. There is nothing that we could do that would ever cause God to love us more or to love us less, but there is a reciprocal nature to God's love. The more we love God, the more we are ultimately able to enjoy God's love and it becomes deeper and fuller and richer in our lives. I'm Gary Yates, uh, pastor of Living Word Baptist Church in Forest, Virginia. We are continuing with our second study on the biblical covenants. We saw in the first presentation that the biblical story is built around uh, a series of five covenants that God makes. There's the creational or Noahic covenant. There's the Abrahamic, uh, the Mosaic, the Davidic, and the New Covenant what I'd like to look at in this second video is more just the idea of like what exactly is a covenant and what is the nature of the covenant relationships that God has with his people in the Bible. So we might just begin with a definition of what is a covenant. And the simple definition is that a covenant is a formal agreement that is confirmed between two or more parties. And so in our covenant and in the covenants that God makes with his people in the Old Testament, we have a superior God making a covenant and, a, and entering into a relationship and agreement with a vastly inferior people. And God only does that because of his mercy and his grace and his condescension to us. It, it is a gracious act of God to enter into these formal agreements. But to fill that out a little bit, Daniel Block gives this as the complete definition of a covenant in his latest study uh, on the biblical covenants, and he says this, a covenant is a formally confirmed agreement between two or more parties that creates, formalizes, or governs a relationship that does not naturally exist, or a natural relationship that may have been broken or disintegrated. And I think part of that definition is important there. The last part of that, that God is establishing relationships that either did not naturally exist or that had been broken, and God is restoring in these covenants what had been lost from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God. Now, sometimes to understand the way that God works uh, in the Bible, it's helpful to see human illustrations that correspond or that correlate and I think one of the great illustrations of a covenant at the human level in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel chapters 18 to 20, where we have the covenant between David and his friend Jonathan. And this covenant is a little bit different than ours with uh, God because these are equal partners. Our covenant, again, with God is a superior with an inferior. But the idea of what they are committing themselves to is... Is, is, is very much related to the type of covenant that we have with God. There is not a natural relationship that exists between. They're not family members. They're not brothers. They're not father and son, but they are being brought into a relationship by covenant, and, and that covenant and that relationship uh, guides and directs the ways that they act and um, uh, relate to each other. So they make the covenant in 1 Samuel chapter 18. They make certain promises and commitments to one another, uh, there's a deep love and a deep friendship between David and Jonathan. And in chapter 20, 
uh, we have this word where it tells us that they treat one another with hesed, or this word for steadfast love or kindness. And what that means is they look out for each other's best interest. And even when it's not in their own best interest, they do what is right and what is good and what is for the benefit of the other person. So Jonathan is willing to sacrifice his right to the throne because of the covenant commitment that he's made to David. And David, when he becomes king, gives up his right to exercise vengeance on Saul as his enemy because he's made commitments and promises uh, to Jonathan. And so I, I think that idea of the relationship that did not exist being established and then looking out for the best interest of the covenant partner, that reflects in many ways what God has done for us. Two of the key terms for covenant in the Bible uh, are the word love, uh, and then also this word that we've already talked about, the word steadfast love, loving kindness, or the Hebrew word uh, hesed. And so when we use the word love in the context of a covenant, it's not just talking about an emotion or a feeling, uh, but it's, it's, it's what causes us to act in the best interest of the covenant partner. And so God acts in our best interest as he shows his covenant love to us. And, and, and so sometimes even in the ancient Near East, when the king of Egypt and the king of the Hittite, when they would make a covenant with one another, they might talk about the fact that they loved one another. And really what they were expressing there was the, the idea that they would be loyal and committed and faithful to this relationship. Now, what we have with the Lord is so, is so much more than that because it's a family relationship. There is a deep emotional love as part of that as well. But, it's, but covenant love is acting in the best interest of that covenant partner. And then God, because of his covenant commitments, uh, he acts towards us with this loving kindness or loyal love or steadfast love. And again, the Hebrew word is hesed, one of the most important theological words in the Old Testament. And, and again, this is the idea that God is abounding in this hesed. He's filled with that. That's what guides and directs his actions. And Exodus 34, 7, he keeps his steadfast love for thousands or for thousands of generations. And so we can be confident that God will act toward us in terms of love and his, his loving kindness and loyalty. Those two key terms are really critical to what a, a covenant relationship involves. Now, in past studies of the covenant, uh, the covenants have often been divided between conditional and unconditional covenant. So con conditional covenant, stipulations, conditions are attached. An unconditional covenant would be more uh, of an open-ended promise. And, and that type, those two types of covenant fit with the major types of covenants that we learn about in the ancient Near East. Uh, there would be what, what was called a suzerain vassal covenant which is when a king would place certain demands on those who lived under his rule or who were under his authority by a covenant. And then the other type of covenant was more of a promise or a grant, the covenant of grant, which was a reward or a gift that was given to someone who had been faithful to the king. And, and so in the Bible, there are certainly covenants that are more conditional in nature, the Mosaic Covenant, the best example, if you obey me, then you will be blessed and all of these promises will come to you. And there are other covenants 
that are more promissory in nature, the Noahic covenant, God will not destroy the earth by flood again, or the Abrahamic covenant where God swears and commits himself, I will make you a great nation, I will give you a land, I will make you a blessing to all people. But what theologians have come to realize is that the distinction between conditional and unconditional covenants is somewhat artificial because every covenant has both promise and stipulation and conditions within them. Okay, This is not just a covenant or a contract. Uh, this is a relationship that's being established. And so in a relationship, like in a marriage, there are promises, but there are also stipulations and conditions for the enjoyment of that covenant. And that's the way the biblical covenants work as well. All five of these major covenants have both promises and conditions and stipulations. And I think even the way that God related to Israel in covenant reflects both unconditional and conditional aspects. So at the beginning of the covenant, before God had ever entered into a covenant with Israel, God unconditionally chose Israel as his people. There was nothing in Israel that led him other than his grace to form and to make a covenant with them. God says in Deuteronomy, you are not the greatest of peoples. That's not why I made a covenant. You're the least of people. It's not because of your faithfulness or obedience. You've been a stiff-necked and rebellious people. But God, at the beginning of this relationship, unconditionally chose to enter into a relationship with Israel. We also see the unconditional nature of God's covenant in the way that he preserves the covenant. So you can see the unconditionality at the beginning and at the end because the covenant never ends. And God is unconditionally committed to the promises he's made so that even when Israel fails, God keeps his covenant commitments and promises. He loves them with an everlasting love. And so even in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 30, even when you go into exile, I'll restore you and bring you back. And so it's an unconditional covenant at the beginning. It's an unconditional covenant at the end. But in the middle of that covenant, God conditionally promises to bless and to reward his people if they are faithful and obedient to the God. So there are conditions attached to the daily enjoyment of the blessings of the covenant. Not whether the covenant continues or ends, not whether God will ultimately fulfill the promises, but if I want to enjoy the benefits and the blessings, then I have to be faithful and obedient. So Deuteronomy 7, 9 says that God keeps his steadfast love and his covenant to those who are faithful to him. So we often talk about, well, is God's love conditional or unconditional? And, and, and at an ultimate level, God's love for us is unconditional. There's nothing that causes God to love us in and of ourselves. There is nothing that causes God to save us or to enter into a relationship with us other than his grace and mercy. There is nothing that we could do that would ever cause God to love us more or to love us less. But there is a reciprocal nature to God's love. The more we love God, the more we are ultimately able to enjoy God's love, and it becomes deeper and fuller and richer in our lives. So there is a sense, there is an aspect of God's love that is conditional. And so God has entered into these covenant commitments where he promises to love, he promises to preserve, 
but he also says, I will bless, I will reward, uh, I will help those who love me to experience at the deepest level uh, the fullness of my love and blessing. Uh, the final thing that I wanted to talk about is that if we want to see the nature of the covenant between God and his people and what a covenant looks like when it's laid out, we can look specifically at the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. Because the book of Deuteronomy reflects many of the same elements that would have been found in an ancient Near Eastern treaty in the days of Moses. And so in these covenants, and this is what the book of Deuteronomy does with God and Israel, at the beginning, the treaty would identify the parties that are involved. And so Deuteronomy at the beginning talks about the relationship between God and Israel. The covenant would also have a historical prologue. Like This is the relationship that these two parties, two parties have had with each other. This is the relationship that exists. And God, in the opening chapters of Deuteronomy, uh, reminds Israel all the things that he has done for them, and that's ultimately what will motivate their love and their faithfulness to the Lord. Uh, the verb to give appears like 175 times in the book of Deuteronomy because what God has done for us and what God has given to us is ultimately what leads us to love him. We love him because he first loves us. And then the heart of the book are the stipulations of the covenant. And that goes really all the way from Deuteronomy chapter 4 all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 26. The general stipulations in chapters 4 to 11, love the Lord, fear God, keep his commandments, love him with all of your heart. And then the specific stipulations in Deuteronomy 12 to 26, this is how you live out your commitment to God. This is how you live in covenant with God are actually a sermon from Moses that fills out, this is how you live out the Ten Commandments. Um, an ancient Near Eastern covenant would also have the curses and blessings that go along with the covenant. And so in Deuteronomy 28, if you obey God, here are the blessings that you will enjoy. Uh, if you do not obey God, here are the cursings that he will bring upon you. And, and ultimately, the curse of exile and being driven out of the land was the ultimate covenant curse and exactly what Israel experienced. Uh, a, an ancient covenant would also have provisions about the covenant is to be deposited here and it's to be read regularly so that the people would be reminded of that. And those things are in the book of Deuteronomy as well. So what do we learn from all of this about the nature of God's relationship with his people? God has established covenants that, um, that, that create a relationship that did not exist before uh, or that mend a broken or disintegrated relationship. God has entered into covenant with us to restore that relationship with us. He's done that by his grace, and God acts toward us in love and in faithfulness and God's hesed is a major part of, his, uh, of who he is and his character in the Old Testament. Our response, though, and all of the covenants have stipulations and conditions, is to reciprocate God's love, to respond to him, and to love God, uh, not to earn his merit, but because we are thankful for how God has loved us. Uh, as we work through the covenants, we will see that there are both blessings and responsibilities attached to that. We have a relationship with God. This is not just a contract. This is a relationship. And we love God because he first loved us. Thank you for being with me. I hope you'll join us for more on Living Word Press as we continue to study the biblical covenants.